Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. This is Mike Fader, the um, host of The Turning Point, which you are listening to right now, uh, on every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on um, prn.fm. And there are podcasts available afterwards, of course. For all those people who have been in touch with me about my radio shows, I really appreciate it. And uh, for those of you who have shared the radio show with other people, who have referred other people to my show, I especially appreciate that. So if you like anything you hear, please tell other people about it. And you can always contact me by going to my website. If you want to comment on a show that I've done, go to faderfiles.com, F-E-D-E-R, Fader is F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S.com. You can also join the mailing list there because I send out occasional 
articles or announcements or something like that. <clears throat> also, on my uh, website, faderfiles.com, the first thing you'll see is a blog. And every week or two, I put in um, an announcement or an article that you might want to comment on, usually something about culture or politics. Um, so in the past, is it the past week? I can't quite equate time so much anymore. Is it a week ago or 10 days ago or is it three or four days ago? So much happens all the time, especially with these, uh, with, with the politics the way they are. I mean, they're so complex and they're so rapid and they're so overwhelming, especially with the uh, Internet and different sources of news and breaking news. Everything is breaking news, you know, like uh, breaking news. It's 1101. Breaking news. It's 1102. So everything is breaking news <laughs> until your head is broken from it. But uh, there's a lot going on. And especially... Um, you know, we've got the Democrats. We've got uh, Clinton and Sanders who are campaigning in uh, New York now, New York State and especially in New York City. I'm sure, obviously, they have to go upstate. And, you know, New York State has what? No, I'm guessing a population of something like between 12 and 14 million. And the city, New York City, has a population of around 8 million. So there are several million other voters that they have to appeal to. And... Um, that's where Sanders probably has a harder time, um, upstate, out on Long Island. Uh, but New York is his place. Of course, uh, <clears throat> it's funny to see the two of them competing for how uh, New York they are, specifically how Brooklyn they are, since Brooklyn is now the place to be. Brooklyn is, uh, Brooklyn is one of the uh, – now it's international. <laughs> it's become national, now it's international. It's something – there was something I lived in Brooklyn for many years, different parts of Brooklyn, and I loved the parts I lived in. Um, and Brooklyn people who live in Brooklyn in New York City tend to think of it almost as a separate uh, nation. Certainly people who live in Manhattan always disdained Brooklyn. If you had friends that live in Manhattan, they would never come out to Brooklyn to visit you. But about 20 to 30 years ago, things started changing in uh a lot of neighborhoods in Brooklyn uh, got recognized as peaceful, decent um, neighborhoods. And then, you know, uh, modernization and, um, and upscaleness arrived in various parts of Brooklyn. Um, there were beautiful brownstones that got renovated. Fancy restaurants came into certain neighborhoods. And then there was a tremendous art scene, and there still is out in Brooklyn, um, uh, so uh, it was the place to go because people couldn't afford to live in Manhattan, and artists uh, and all sorts of other people came out there. But uh, also they brought a lot of uh, money. There was a lot of displacement of people in neighborhoods um, who had lived there for decades, whole generations of people who were just sort of more or less moved out uh, when landlords raised the rents because they knew they could get more people. There was gentrification going on. But... Um, <clears throat> You've got Hillary Clinton set up her campaign headquarters when she first started to run uh, in the primary. She set up her headquarters in in Brooklyn. You know, it's got that special um, appeal that a lot of people. It's an exotic appeal all over the country. People think there's something really, really uh, special about the fact. I don't know if Hillary, how many times Hillary Clinton had ever been to Brooklyn in her life before that, but she she and her advisors. 
are shrewd enough to know that Brooklyn is the place to be these days. So she set up her headquarters in Brooklyn. And, of course, Bernie Sanders, before uh, he was uh, a young man out of college and took off to uh, Vermont, was born and grew up in Brooklyn uh, in a hard way. You know, he had a tough time growing up there. He was poor. And uh, but, you know, he's been away from Brooklyn for a very long time. I don't know how many times he's been back to Brooklyn, maybe to visit his parents and some of his other relatives when he was much, much younger. But um, now he's, uh, you know, he's going back to his roots. And uh, so they're they're campaigning to see uh, who's more New York and who's more Brooklyn. But so that's them. But it's still within the boundaries of what we've come to expect as um as a political campaign, as two people, you know, fighting it out for a primary. I mean, <clears throat> and in this case, it's much more of a choice than we've seen before, when you had to choose between, for a long, long time, you choose between various candidates in both parties. You were, didn't have much of a choice, or even between the two parties. Uh, it's still my position that uh, certainly Clinton is not, Hillary Clinton is not the same as any of the Republican candidates that we have up now. But in past times, um, Democratic candidates went up against um, Republican candidates, and there were differences, but um, not enough for my taste. Now we've got Sanders, who is extremely different than any of the Republicans. He's 180 degrees opposite. Mm, Hillary Clinton, not so much, but she certainly is. Uh, she, she would have to vote for her, right, if any of the re- against any of the Republicans who are possibilities. Um, so anyhow, in the midst of all this stuff, uh, it's, it's raining commentary and statements and denouncements and debates and, uh, you know, breaking news. <clears throat> Trump, who everybody believes, Donald Trump, who everybody believes, uh, could never say anything more outrageous each time he, he uh, opens his mouth, does say, any, does say something more outrageous. <laughs> so this time, uh, and everybody also thinks maybe he's gone too far. You know, he can't get away with this, with that. He can't say that and even hope to be president. Well, um, so far that hasn't really, sh- that hasn't shown, um, that hasn't shown to be, to be, hasn't been shown to be true. However, however, as somebody pointed out in, in something I read the other day, that um, you have to pull back and look at the bigger picture. Um, because Trump gets uh, wins, and sometimes very big wins over these other guys in primaries, that's only a specific part of the voting public. Um, We're talking about, I don't know what, 30 million votes, if you count all the different primaries that the Republicans will be in, something like that, or 35 or 40 million votes. But there are close to 110, maybe 120 million voters that voted in the last election. So when you expand outward, although you see Trump um, with these uh, wins and sometimes overwhelming wins over other people, no matter how outrageous and how ignorant he obviously is about anything, um, he uh, you have to look at the bigger picture. And when he when he's matched up against other voters in various demographics or as a totality in the country, he doesn't come out too well. Um, I'm not sure Cruz comes out too well either, but he comes out actually better than Trump. So bottom line is Trump running in a national election is probably something that's terrifying to think of and really sad when you think of what things have come to. But uh, Trump running in a national election 
um, uh, would lose probably pretty badly to whoever the um, Democratic candidate is, even if it is the communists, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> People, poor Bernie Sanders. Um, and Hillary Clinton with this uh, corrupt system of superdelegates, right? I mean, that, that, that you know about superdelegates, right? These are, this was established in the 1980s after uh, uh, you had um, Jimmy Carter, and I forget one other politician. It was McGovern once upon a time, and then Jimmy Carter. Uh, because of popular groups of Democrats, um, uh, elected during the primaries who, who nominated, you know, who really wanted Jimmy Carter to run. It turned out that he got, you know, obliterated in 1984, I think it was, by, um, by Reagan. And I think, I think the Dem Republicans took 49 states in that election. Well, a bunch of the uh, movers and shakers got together, you know, the party bosses and big donors, but mostly party bosses, <clears throat> heads of delegations, governors, um, you know, managers of uh, Democratic parties in different uh, different cities and states. They got together and um, became delegates. They just sort of made themselves into delegates for the Democratic Party. They ran the Democratic Party, so they're called superdelegates. Basically what it means is that 30% of the delegate total for the Democrats, 30% is made up of these superdelegates who are the inside guys. These are the inside people. These are the people who run the Democratic Party. They are the practical politicians. They are the uh, the center politicians. They are the ones who don't like to take too many chances. They are the ones probably without too many principles. And Hillary Clinton is hooked into these people. So she's already got either all or most of these superdelegates. And uh, obviously it's a corrupt system, and it's a shame. But uh, that's how it is. So back to Trump. Um, Trump said the other day, as you're no doubt all aware, that um, <clears throat> he was talking to Chris Matthews, who's a pain in the ass. But uh, Chris Matthews can be uh, difficult if you're being interviewed. You know, he will ignore if you try to you know get around things or be vague or uh, avoid his questions. He'll just keep coming at you. <clears throat> now, I think that Chris Matthews is egocentric and rude, like a lot of other people on. But um, nevertheless, he got Trump to say that um, that women. Uh, let me see. Is there a quote here? Yeah. Um, Donald Trump. Uh, this is from an article that was written, an op-ed piece in The New York Times. Um, he says, let's see. He says, if abortion is outlawed, quote, there has to be some form of punishment for the woman. Now, I don't think it's exactly that. I mean, that's maybe a paraphrase. But what he clearly said was that if abortion becomes, um, you know, once again ruled, um, um, you know, illegal, as it was up until Roe v. Roe v. Wade, which was, what, 1970? Um, when I was a kid, when I was growing up, um, abortion until in my mid-20s mid was uh, illegal. And, uh, it, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of women had abortions, but they had to go, you know, undercover to get them. And sometimes they had to do very dangerous things and where women died or women got diseases. And it was a terrible mess. People were arrested, uh, usually always actually uh, doctors or abortionists. And it was considered an evil, uh, ugly thing because it was done in back alleys. It was done in... Um, 
it was done, and it wasn't necessarily back alley, but it was done, you know, undercover. It was done illegally, and people referred other people to it, and they people charged huge amounts of money because it was legal. It was illegal. So, um, but you know, with all the um, the um, anti-abortion groups with their tens, hundreds of millions of dollars in lobbying money, uh, Christian fundamentalist groups, the anti-Planned Parenthood groups, all these groups are um, are constantly assailing the courts uh, with uh, various cases and very and a certain states like Texas. Mostly, of course, uh, you you would look for the usual suspects. Texas, places like Mississippi, Louisiana, but especially in a place like Texas, um, have made um, uh, passed at state legislatures there and the governors, who are mostly all Republicans, sometimes overwhelmingly Republican, have uh, passed laws, which have made, and in Virginia, other places, have made it uh, a terrible endurance test for women to uh, even begin to get an abortion and to put women through hell who want to get an abortion. And in fact, uh, they're getting so crazy that they've succeeded in closing down clinics. The rules that they passed for what a clinic has to meet, like a Planned Parenthood maybe, uh, or a clinic that treats, that will, a doctor here and there that will um, that will perform abortions and especially Planned Parenthood uh, places. Um, <clears throat> They have uh, passed such onerous laws and restrictions and rules on these places that these clinics have been forced to close. And Texas is the most egregious one, as they are in many other things. <laughs> there's something about Texas. I don't know. But, um, and so there are these cases. There's a case right now before the Supreme Court um, about um, the rules that the state legislature and the governor signed in Texas for uh, what a clinic has to meet. You know what? What? What level a clinic has to be up to? And they're uh, absurd, expensive, onerous rules. And uh, of course, they can't be met. The doctors, I think, in um, in clinics in Texas have to be associated. Um, you know, part of the staff, or associated in some professional way with the local hospital. They can't just refer people there. And all these things. And there has to be a state-of-the-art operating room, just like there would be in, in a hospital. Um, in uh, a clinic that performs an abortion, uh, which is not necessary. But So when all these rules are put together, and it's not just the South. Uh, you got, uh, as somebody pointed out, um, Kasich, who is running as one of the, uh, one of the, who is running as the reasonable alternative to uh, Cruz and to Trump. Kasich in Ohio um, has also uh, been very much against um, uh, abortion, and he opposes legal abortion, except in cases of rape and incest. Uh, but Kasich himself has signed 17 anti-abortion measures, this is Ohio, into law since he took office in 2011. Half the clinics in Ohio in operation at the beginning of his tenure, quoting here, have closed or stopped performing abortions. And in many other states, some of them in the Midwest and a lot of them down south and some in the southwest, have, um, have done the same thing. And as I said, there's a case be be before the Supreme Court now, which will have to be decided. Um, I don't know exactly what the status is. You know, we still have four to four. So it's this odd situation in the Supreme Court where... Um, <clears throat> Where if if a court of appeals, let's say this tech the the federal court of appeals 
the circuit that controls Texas said that these laws are um, uh, are illegal, that these laws are unconstitutional, and there's a tie vote in the Supreme Court, then the lower court ruling stands. But I'm not sure exactly where it is with this with this uh, case with the Supreme Court. But they haven't decided it yet. And when they decide this, it could it won't set a precedent. Apparently, when the Supreme Court is four four, precedents cannot be set because uh, it's not um, it's not the full court. Anyhow, that's what's going on. But however, uh, whatever whatever the uh, the Circuit Court of Appeals has decided, and it came up from there, that's where it'll stay. So that if, if a, a Circuit Court of Appeals, if a certain state is in there, and they have uh, approved these absurd, um, you know, uh, uh, overwhelmingly um, biased rules for uh, for abortion clinics that have been passed in these states. If um, <clears throat> if this Court of Appeals in that circuit has approved of these laws that are passed by state legislatures and signed by mostly Republican governors, exclusively Republican governors, then that's the law that will stand if the Supreme Court uh, uh, votes as a tie, if there's a tie, 4-4. Well, Trump. So Trump says to Chris Matthews, women should be punished if the if abortion is outlawed, women should be punished, and I think, like a lot of other things, he retracted his statement. It took him usually it takes him a day or two. <laughs> he says something unbelievable or outrageous. I mean, some things he lets stand. You know, insulting other people he lets stand all the time. Um, but sometimes he takes his comments back, and he said, "Well, uh, maybe you heard me wrong, or that's of course not what I intended to say." You know, remember Ms. Nixon used to say, or his press spokesman said, "The president misspoke." <laughs> the way people twist the language, right, to get out of telling the truth or not to admit that they lied. The president misspoke. I've we've all misspoken in our times, haven't we? We've all misspoken in our time. We've uh, we've lied, but. You know, you, if you get to be if you get to be a politician with a press secretary, you could call it misspeaking, misspeaking. It's, uh, it was uh, not exactly that your brain shut off, and certainly not that you intended to lie or said something so stupid that people can't believe it and you would suffer by it. No, it's just a it's a it's a misspeak, whatever the hell that is. Anyhow, so so Trump says. Um, that uh, that there has to be some form of, pun- form of punishment for women. It took him a couple of hours to backtrack on that, and uh, he retracted his uh, punishment statement, saying only, of course, what the the standard uh, rule used to be before Roe v. Wade, that only the doctor or person who performed the abortion would be uh, held legally responsible. Um, there is a woman named Katha Pollitt, P-O-L-L-I-T-T who writes for The Nation, who's a senior editor, a senior writer at The Nation magazine, who uh, was sort of being the devil's advocate here. She was uh, writing an op-ed piece in The Times the other day. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole article here because I don't have the voice for it and because, um, you know, it doesn't. it's not such a great radio just to read an article. But um, you know that the uh, anti-abortion movement, what they call themselves pro-choice, which is a great phrase, whoever came up with that, pro-choice, um, no, pro-life. Uh, the abortion, uh, people who favor abortion are pro-choice. Women can choose what she wants to do. But they, they, the anti-abortion people call themselves pro-life. 
uh, implying that the um, the people who uh, who are in favor of women being allowed to have abortions are pro death. So it was a sort of a brilliant uh, advertising phrase that they came up with, or propaganda phrase. Um, so this woman, Katha Pollitt, said, um, if abortion is murder, as the, uh, as the uh, pro-life people say it is, that if it's murder, if you're murdering a human being in the womb, uh, even though it hasn't been born, that fetus is a human being, even at the very beginning, when the egg is fertilized by the sperm, that is a life. And at any stage along the way, if you're murdering that, if you're killing it, if you're um, aborting, which to them is murder, um, then you are committing, you know, the same kind of thing. It's a murder is a murder. Like if you uh, held up a liquor store and shot somebody dead, if you uh, had a domestic uh, um, abuse case and somebody was beaten and a woman was beaten to death, um, a murder, right? A killing. And uh, first degree, second degree, third degree murder. Um, so the people who hate Planned Parenthood, who want to shut down all the Planned Parenthood and defund Planned Parenthood, uh, you know, um, centers and clinics and shut down all abortion clinics, when the protesters, mostly um, <clears throat> Christian fundamentalists, uh, protesters stand outside of abortion clinics and a woman wants to come for an abortion, these women have to be escorted in and protected, and they have to go through a gauntlet of um, of people holding up signs with uh, dead babies and bleeding fetuses and, uh, and people screaming, murderer, 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 right? Well, Catholic is saying here, let's take it to its um, logical or you might say illogical extreme. If, um, if, it's, uh, if it's really murder, then Trump is right, uh, although Trump is usually right sometimes by accident, <laughs> But this is this is what her point of that's not her point of view, but she's just pointing out how absurd it is. She says, "Well, Trump has accidentally said what uh, the um, what the mainstream anti-abortion people usually avoid saying. It's the fringe people. It's the people who are on the uh, on the fringes who will scream murderer, 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 right, and yell in, in these poor women's faces when they're walking into an abortion clinic, as if these women didn't already feel." as bad as a human being could possibly feel, which is something I want to get into in a little while. I mean, uh, they don't have to, you know, all the laws that have been passed in these states where women want to get an abortion, there's a 72-hour special waiting period, or when they go to get an abortion, the first thing they have to do, uh, like in Virginia, this law was passed, is they have to get... um, they have to get, uh, you know, some sort of intrusive physical examination. Um, and then they have to view various films that show abortions and abortions gone bad and fetuses and happy children. And um, they have to see all this stuff uh, as if they didn't feel already as if they were murderers. And, you know, in their own. I mean, do, do they think women? I guess that's what the Republicans, general Republican men, which is another story, men and women. Uh, they must think that all of these women, and she said this in here, um, Katha Pollitt, she said uh, a lot of these people consider women not to be uh, murderers, but the, the, um, the, um, the people who are anti-abortion, you know, the, the big lobbying people, they, um, they say that uh, these women 
aren't murderers, but they're, they're deluded, they're temporarily insane, they're children, they don't understand what they're doing, they're, uh, you know, they're allowing other people to influence them, you know? But Catholic Pollitt here is saying, um, <clears throat> yeah, all right, so it's a murder. If it's a murder, then why shouldn't women be punished? You know, let them let them be arrested for murder the same way other people were arrested and punished for murder. She's taking it all away. A guy like Ted Cruz, take a guy like Ted Cruz. First of all, here I am. I'm going to be talking. I'm talking about abortion and Ted Cruz and a lot of men and Donald Trump are talking about abortion. A lot of Christian uh, fundamentalist candidates and uh, people who are holding office like governors and senators and Congress people and, you know, certainly a lot of preachers and ministers who are, are men. Uh, talk about abortion and, and they condemn it and they make long speeches about it. I think that men need to be very, very careful when they're talking about abortion. Because this is something, you know, obviously a man has a right to his opinion. And in certain particular cases, men have more of a right to an opinion, more of a right to an opinion uh, about this than others would. Um, for instance, um, if you're married, or if you're a couple for a long time <clears throat> and their uh, contraception doesn't work or maybe there wasn't any contraception, but let's say contraception doesn't work. Well, take a, a married couple who have been together for a while. They already have a kid, two kids, uh, or maybe contraception didn't work. Uh, maybe they weren't ready for kids yet. And certainly a lot of people who get abortions, teenagers, uh, women who are scraping by having a job and already have, uh, you know, uh, a couple of kids and can't, you know, can't, they really can't afford to take care emotionally or financially of another kid, and the family can't either. Sometimes the woman will get pregnant, even with contraception. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, that's something I think probably that should be discussed between the man and the woman, whether or not um, this, this fetus should be aborted, whether or not this child should be allowed to be born. Uh, even, you know, but so it's a discussion if a man is genuinely responsible and involved in in this kind of decision. But otherwise, for a man from the outside to talk about other people's lives and what women should be doing. Also, by the way, I, I feel <clears throat> that even if uh, men and women, let's say in a marriage like that, a situation that I set up, if they discuss this and... Um, uh, you know, finally, uh, there is a disagreement. Well, that would be tragic in a way. And I understand that people could have, you know, like really terrible disagreements and that could be place the marriage in jeopardy or maybe even end it. And especially on a subject like that. Um, in the end, it's my opinion that women uh, have ultimate control about what goes on inside their own bodies, inside their own bodies. They, they're, they're the ones who have control. But uh, <clears throat> even when I'm talking about it right now, I think men need to be careful when they're talking about abortion, because this is really something that's a woman's body. This is a woman's territory, and um, men can uh, have on a you know on a continuum more of a right, let's say, to express an opinion. And of course, you always have a right to say anything. I mean, if Ted Cruz and other fundamentalists. Um, you know, Christians are uh, evangelical Christians are so religious that if they really do believe it, that, uh, you know, God has given this uh, this uh, fetus a soul. This is a this is a, 
a human being already with a soul, even if it's only like in the first month of, uh, of life inside a woman, <clears throat> first month uh, or first six weeks or the first eight weeks or whatever it is, if they really believe that, then I can understand how they would genuinely be um, pained and upset, maybe outraged and just uh, just beside themselves uh, thinking that that this little creature who is going to turn into uh, a child to be born and who is born, they, they would be beside themselves and they would want to, you know, I'm just I'm thinking about everything here. I'm just sort of speaking out loud. They would want to save other people. They would want to save women from making a mistake uh, that maybe they would regret later on. And they want to. They feel that, that God has caused this to happen. It's not, you know, they're religious. Some people aren't religious. They feel that God has um, planted a soul in this little creature and that um, they... Um, they they want to save. They want to save this creature, and they don't. And they want it to be come to full term, and they want it to be born. I can understand that. I could believe that they they feel that way. Let's take a break for a second. Sorry, we have to take a, a little bit of a break there. Uh, I get a little water myself here, and uh, there's a slight malfunction in my headphones. The malfunction probably being in my mind. I didn't really turn uh, the uh, right dial on here for the headphones. Hold on a second, some water. Forget about Trump. You know, wouldn't we all like to forget about Trump? I mean, it looks as if his um, his bizarre circus nightmare um, march to the presidency. Uh, it's not over yet, and. It is, I have to admit, it is difficult to ignore, uh, the, you know, the morbid curiosity you have of not what he's going to say next or what he's going to do next. I think people are getting very tired of him. I do believe that people are getting very tired of him. And the only people who aren't tired of him or even reading about whatever outrageous thing he's going to say next, which he obviously does on purpose. Uh, I don't know if he does it intentionally, uh, intellectually on purpose. He's not a reflective man. Uh, but he has a knack, he has an instinct for saying something absurd and outrageous. <clears throat> and uh, one of the reasons is because his prime mover inside, the prime thing that moves him, is to get attention, is to get attention. Uh, sometimes it's probably, he doesn't even know why he wants it, but uh, I don't think it would be too difficult. In fact, we might have a guest on next week. I'm trying to set up a guest who is a psychoanalyst, psychotherapist and a psychoanalyst, who wrote an article trying to examine psychoanalytically or, uh, you know, psychologically what 
drives Trump and what drives his followers and why a man would act this way. But I think we could all agree that um, <clears throat> from our point of view, um, even his next outrageous thing seems to be sort of less interesting all the time. I mean, he could come out and say um, almost anything now, and I think we're all kind of tired of it on, on our side of the fence. Obviously, his followers and his diehard followers are not tired of it. Who's alarmed by it increasingly, as you can see, uh, is the rest of the Republican Party. Uh, they want to have uh, somebody who uh, they don't want to have him to be the candidate. They're afraid because they looked at all the polls and they're generally afraid because he pays. There's two reasons why they are afraid to have him be the candidate. They don't want him to be the candidate and why they're spending probably hundreds of millions of dollars with PACs and everything else to uh, to <clears throat> to campaign against their own leader of uh, delegates right now in the primary, which is probably a kind of a historical thing. That's a first, I think, for a party to be spending hundreds of millions of dollars in the end um, to, um, to get rid of the leading... Um, politician in the primaries running in their own party to be nominated for president. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. They are afraid of him, um, <clears throat> maybe sometimes for good reasons. Obviously, he's a demagogue. He brings out the worst in people. He's appealing to people uh, who lean towards violence. He himself has made violent remarks. He's got all the... Uh, he, he and... Well, not he so much, but he and his followers, or he calls them his fans have all the aspects of kind of a fascist movement. If you study fascist movements in other countries, um, in Mussolini, but especially the, uh, the uh, Nazis when they were first forming, um, they, don't want to be in the, they don't want to be involved with something like that. They don't want to be involved with something like that. Also, uh, they see all the polls, um, and this goes back to his comments about uh, women, but his generally outrageous comments uh, are offensive to so many groups of people who represent voting, uh, not minorities even more, huge millions of people who are hundreds of thousands of people in certain voting blocks. Basically, Trump is what used to be called a nativist. He is uh, the champion of generally uh, bigoted, generally ignorant uh, white Christian Americans who don't want anybody else in their country. They don't want anybody else in their country. He he just he just is their champion, and that's exactly the way Hitler started out, and what we saw it that turned into. And I don't think that Trump has got the kind of um, <clears throat> streak of insane cruelty, and uh, doesn't even have the organizing skills, and doesn't have the uh, he doesn't even have the principles you know, to use a, a bizarre word that Hitler had. I mean, Hitler had principles. He wrote them in a book, Mein Kampf, and he carried them out, right? Trump doesn't even think that much or think that far about things, but he has the instincts of, um, of a demagogue and of a dictator. So the Republican Party is embarrassed by him. They don't want him there, and they're practical, too. They're afraid a guy like this, if he runs as the candidate, will cause them so much grief that they will wind up losing the Congress, they will wind up losing a dozen or more governor's seats, and they'll be back in the minority again, as they were for quite a long time in the past. So they don't, they don't like that. They don't like that. Uh, <clears throat> also, and one of the reasons they're worried so much is one of the demographics is women. Uh, women can't stand Donald Trump. 
obviously, and this is before he said any a word about abortions, but women don't like him. Now, in his personal life, could be, it looks like women like him a lot, but how can you separate that from all the money he has? You know, and I'm not saying that there, there aren't women. As, I mean, obviously, his daughters or his daughter, uh, they love him. His, if he has granddaughters, they love him. Apparently, in his personal life, um, he has friends who are women. Uh, he has uh, family members, you know, uh, uh, daughters, granddaughters who are women. Um, he's, he's had three wives now, is it? I'm not sure. Um, I can't say. I don't know. I mean, they probably love the man. People say when they interview people uh, who are his friends and people in his family, that he's a very um, decent, loyal, uh, rather benevolent person to be with. His employees, uh, other people, say that he's not so bad. It's just something about the fact that when he gets in in front of people and when he has a chance to have, uh, to have huge crowds rally around him, something gets twisted in him and... Um, this crazy, you know, vengeful child comes out. He's a strange character. But basically, women uh, in general don't like him. And I can't see, it's hard for me to imagine any woman voting for him. Now, a lot of people don't like, uh, I could see, you know, women will vote for Bernie Sanders. I could see women voting for Hillary Clinton because she's a woman. It would be another first, you know, the first woman president. And there's a lot to be said about that. A lot to be said for that. Uh, you know, aside from the fact that Hillary Clinton is just basically, in a funny way, one of the old boys. She's one of the old boy network. Um, but when, can you imagine a woman voting for Donald Trump? And I say before he even uh, uttered a word about abortions and women being punished for them, um, he was um, he was disliked by women in general. He <clears throat> he seems to just appeal to men, and it's usually men who are uh, without a college education, uh, men who are, a lot of men who are, uh, you know, who are, who are right-wing, who are given to, uh, who are in favor of, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, guns and whatever, you know, who tend to be uh, men's men, right? And women don't detect anything in him that's even slightly feminine. You get a guy like Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was very appealing to women, you know, and in a certain sexual way, he was charming, and he seemed to have a certain uh, vulnerability, uh, and he had a kind of like a, and Obama too, for that, for that matter, even though Obama can be very formal and almost robotic sometimes, he had that kind of uh, sort of boyish, you know, appealing, um, appealing uh, sort of aura that women might be attracted to, but Trump has got this hard frowning it's like everything about him is masculine and not really the best possible way <laughs> so donald trump women don't like him they really just don't like him they uh they uh might stay home there i can can i can imagine and the republican party knows this this is another reason they're terrified to have him be the candidate not that any not that women are crazy about ted cruz believe me i mean he doesn't have too much popularity with women either Except with, um, except with you know evangelical women, but uh, I can imagine it's not that Republican women who are Republicans, uh, the millions of women who are Republicans would vote for Hillary Clinton if Donald Trump ran. The danger is, I think, for the Republicans is that they would um, <clears throat> that these women would tend to stay home, or they would vote, but they would not vote for president. They just wouldn't vote. 
uh, for Donald Trump. Um, now, when it comes to abortions, um, as I said, I don't think men should really have too much to say about abortions. My opinion is that it, it's something, and ultimately, that it's a woman's decision. <clears throat> I was once involved. Um, let me see. How much time do we have left? We can really talk about this. Okay. I, I, um, I think I read somewhere that one in four women, could it be that much or more? Uh, <clears throat> one in four women in America, sooner or later, will have an abortion. It seems like a lot, but that's what I read. <clears throat> I, when I was about 21 years old, I, uh, I was involved in a woman getting abortion, getting an abortion. Um, brief story is that I was um, crazy about this other woman who I knew since I was a teenager. And uh, after she dropped out of college, she went to uh, live. <clears throat> it was the time of hippies. It was 1966. And uh, let me get a little water here. Uh, she went to live on the Lower East Side. And the Lower East Side was not the way it is now. It wasn't uh, fancy and uh, gentrified. It was um, <clears throat> a pretty, um, pretty run-down neighborhood. It was one of the most, uh, you know, one of the most poor places uh, at the time. Still, uh, I worked down there in the welfare department, and uh, it was, you know, for a long time the big ghetto where a lot of the, um, a lot of Jews went, uh, and uh, especially around the turn of the nineteenth uh, to twentieth century. Uh, so there was these old tenements. So she moved into some, and you know, a lot of these people, who hippies, they could hardly afford to pay anything where they got their money from, who knows. But I was crazy about this girl, and she moved into this, you know, apartment. And she painted the ceiling, you know, day glow, and was purple with day glow stars on it, the whole thing. And it was, you know, Indian music, and it was pot smoke so thick that you get high by walking in the door, one of those kind of places. And I was crazy about this girl. Ever since I was a teenager, I was crazier about it. But I was... Uh, you know, like there was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and she was always very sexual, right? And uh, there were people slept on mattresses. She had a it was her apartment, so she had a mattress in the back. She was always with some guy, and I sort of desperately wanted to be with her. Not only did I have that tremendous crush on her, maybe more than that, because I was a little bit in love with her. I, you know, I wanted to have sex with her too. And I was in that area. I was very backward. I was twenty one already in the sex, drugs, and rock and roll era. And had not had, you know, uh, intercourse. Had not had, uh, not gotten all the way yet with a woman. It's you know, very backward compared to a lot of other generations, and especially that generation, which had changed everything. Uh, and I was at one of these parties once uh, that she, it wasn't a party. Her, her life was, the door was always open. <laughs> it was always people in there you didn't know, coming and going. People were, you know, selling drugs. They were using drugs. They were having sex on the floor. It was one of those kind of places. And I... Went in there, and I was, you know, it stood out terribly because I was just such a square. Still am, in a lot of ways. And um, I saw this woman in there uh, who looked a little apart from everybody else. And it turns out her name is Judy, and she lived right across the street. And um, I was so disappointed. It was kind of like a rebound thing that she and I wound up having um, sex. We went across to her apartment, which was another roach-infested apartment. You know, the lights were out. I, I slept over. And it's the first time I ever had sex. And I didn't use. Why? Because I was stupid and irresponsible and uh, just uh, uh, in some kind of, uh, you know, childish state. 
Well, I had sex with her, unprotected sex. And, um, she, you know, it was one of these awful places. You know, I turned on the light when I went into the bathroom. There were roaches wall to wall. I mean, roaches everywhere. And um, I wasn't even that attracted to her, but she was interested in this. She wanted to have, she really did want to have sex. Maybe she was also kind of backward and she had never had sex before. I don't know. She was a couple of years older than me. Maybe I assumed in my irresponsible, childish, maybe masculine way that she'd take care of it. That was her problem. It was her body. She'd take care of it. Uh, so many men are like that, right? So um, I didn't see her again. And then I got a call from her. Uh, I got a call uh, at my house. I, uh, that summer, I had lived out at a, s- a small little beach cottage that my family owned. It wasn't, believe me, it wasn't, uh, this is not Hyannis Port we're talking about. <laughs> it was a little rundown little shack, practically, that a lot of uh, people, uh, Jews and Italians from the 30s, when they had a little extra money, they bought out at the beach, Rockaway Beach in Queens. And I was living out there. And I had a car crash, and I had to move back into my mother's house. It was like um, the end of August or something like that. <clears throat> and she called me up at my mother's house, and she said, I'm pregnant, and I'm going to have an abortion, and you have to pay for it. And I was completely freaked out. I mean, my mother was crazy in the subject of sex. She didn't even want to think of anybody having sex. Uh, she, she, you know, it made her shiver and shake, the idea, even saying the word sex. And the idea that I was having sex with some woman, some other woman, <laughs> which is a whole story by itself, it was horrible and disgusting to her. So I was talking in whispers, and this woman said, you better come and meet me. And I came and met her at her apartment, and she said, I've arranged for it next week. And the week after that, I don't know, she needed $100, which is like $500 now. And it was illegal then. It was illegal. The whole thing was uh, a crime. It was illegal and it was wrong. And I thought I, I was doing, I was sinful and I felt guilty, so guilty that I had gotten this poor, <clears throat> this poor woman pregnant. So we drove out across the bridge uh, into New Jersey to a really rundown kind of shady town, a shady little city called Union City, New Jersey. Union City, New Jersey. And she went into a house. I parked across the street from this house. She went into this house, came out about an hour later. And got in the car. She looked shaken and miserable and terrible. And we drove back to the city. She didn't say one word. She didn't look at me. <clears throat> I tried to speak, but you know, there, there was no talking to her. And I never saw her again. And the whole thing was just so horrible. It was so horrible. The whole illegality of it. And I never, you know, I never knew whether or not she was actually pregnant. I don't know whether or not this is some way she figured she could get money because I was an easy mark and so guilty. But, you know, on the other hand, I was thinking, you know, yeah, she's really pregnant, and maybe she was, and she had to do this thing and go across the street. One time I was, uh, at one point I was parked there, and a cop came by and looked at me and sort of smiled like he knew what was going on. It was the kind of city where cops get paybacks for everything. So I, and I've talked to women in my life who've had abortions. They don't do it lightly. The Republicans and these other people don't understand that women, probably 99% of women who do this, are um, tortured with anguish and guilt for doing a thing like this. I think that a fetus does have a soul. I think a fetus is alive. And I think it is a form of deliberate ending of a life. That's my opinion. And of a soul. And it's it's a terrible thing. And women know that. 
So for men to be thrown around, these Republicans, Trump and Cruz, to be preaching about all this stuff, about women should do it, governors in Virginia passing laws and state legislatures, all these men passing laws against women and abortion, it's none of their goddamn business. It's none of their business. Women suffer enough already from it. And, you know, that's uh, a little story that I wanted to tell you. So Trump and abortion, you know, who knows what Trump means about anything? They're all, and Cruz is the one to watch out for. He's crazy and dangerous. Devil 